not to the book of Philippians. If you're new with us this morning, normally here at Cornerstone we teach through scripture verse by verse. We are currently going through the book of Philippians. But since it's Palm Sunday, we're going to take a little break from that and we are going to focus on the events of Palm Sunday. You know, we hear, what is Palm Sunday, right? Look at those events and what the Lord will teach us through those events this morning. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 28 as we read about the things that took place on Palm Sunday, which is the week before Christ went to the cross to die for our sins. And the Sunday before Jesus went to the cross, here are the events that are taking place. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead. Going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the, on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along. They spread their, their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, Already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And what they are singing to him are messianic psalms. You look at Psalm 118. They're singing messianic psalms to him. The crowd is acknowledging Jesus to be the Messiah as singing these messianic psalms. And that is exactly what troubles the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And that is why their response in 39 is this. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, have known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Palm Sunday, in the beginning of this passage, you know, it begins as a very joyous celebration. Right? A very wonderful thing. They're singing the Psalms to Jesus, recognizing him to be the Messiah. And I want to play a video that's done by the skit guys, if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Skit guys. And it just kind of gives a perspective that is, was perhaps, and I say perhaps, the perspective of the disciples. You know, when you understand the whole gospel, right? And if you remember, how many times did his disciples want to call him king, right? Or, 
or name him something you know greater. What is Jesus' response all throughout the Gospels? My time is not yet come. Right? My time is not yet come. And he, he constantly puts them off. But then finally, the day comes, huh? Where Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and he is fully embracing and fully accepting that praise because the time that he's been talking about for so long, all throughout his ministry, has finally come. So let's go ahead and play this video. Um, Jesus shows up. Amen. Amen. 
disciples' point of view, traveling with Jesus all throughout his ministry. You know, this week we have Ash Wednesday, we have Good Friday, and then of course Resurrection Sunday. But it's important to understand that the events of Palm Sunday, right, are they're not just these these things are not just important because you know it just happened to be the week before the. The, you know, Jesus was crucified and died for, died for our sins. When we look at the events of Palm Sunday, I really believe they call on each one of us, they call on everybody to recognize the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And it begins, right? It begins a joyous event. It begins with people shouting out to him. It begins with this odd event of him riding in on a colt, a foal of a donkey, which is generally considered to be a donkey under four years old. A donkey uh, that we learned that nobody had ever ridden on before. Apparently this, this, this donkey is that young. But it happened just as it was prophesied about in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. I think they're doing that on Palm Sunday. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Zechariah, written 500 years before Jesus ever set foot on earth, makes this prophecy. And this prophecy says that when the king comes, when the Messiah comes, it's not going to be on a white stallion. Like you normally would envision that, right? You know, with this group of people behind him marching in. He says, no, when he comes, you know what he's going to come on? He's just going to come on a baby donkey 500 years before Jesus ever stepped foot on this earth. That's exactly what he prophesied about. And that's why the religious leaders who know the scriptures well, they knew what was going on. They know what Zechariah says about all of this. And then we're told a great multitude gathers. They're really excited. They start throwing down their garments, their clothes. And palm branches as he's marching in. I mean, do you realize the... The emotional excitement that has to be present for people to start spontaneously doing that. Right. You know, for me to, if I were to, you know, walk down this aisle, for you guys to start taking off your jackets and your coats and throwing them down and putting palm branches or whatever you can find, there would have to be a, a strong element of emotional excitement, right? And that is, I hope it can bring you into the picture of what is taking place as Jesus marches in to Jerusalem. And again, they are spontaneously shouting unrehearsed messianic psalms to Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, verse 9 says, And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna means save now. Save now. And they were so excited. They were so pumped because they thought the Messiah was marching in to save them. And he did save them. But they thought he was marching in to save them from the Roman Empire. To save them from the bondage that the Romans have put upon them. When in reality, he was saving them from something much greater than that, right? From an enemy far greater to mankind than the Roman Empire. And that is death. That is death. And they say in Matthew again, blessed is, or excuse me, in the book of Luke, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
They're shouting, they're recognizing he is the Messiah. It tells us that when they gathered and, and, and all this excitement, it was because of all the great works he had done. And I think it's, it's important to understand that this is an accumulation to his works. This day, Palm Sunday, is the, this is the pinnacle of his popularity. It is. It's the pinnacle of his popularity. The book of Luke tells us, it says, excuse me, it says, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. In other words, everything the last three years. I mean, you have to understand that on this day, Palm Sunday, Jesus had just got done raising Lazarus from the dead. Right? And it's funny to think about that. You could literally have post-dead Lazarus <laughs> walking around the sea. Right? I mean, what I mean, how much that would bring an enormous amount of faith, right? Walking around, like people know that this guy has power. Because we have post-dead Lazarus walking around, and a guy who was buried walking around this scene. But not everybody was celebrating, were they? <laughs> In the words of this war of uh, our culture, there were haters on the scene, right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew, they knew the scriptures, they knew the prophecies, they knew these messianic psalms were being proclaimed, and, and as a response, what do they want Jesus to do? He, it, it says, he, they, they tell Jesus, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, Jesus, what are you thinking? Letting your disciples recognize you as the Messiah. What is going through your mind? Rebuke them. But he answered, Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Isn't that awesome? He says, listen, I need to tell you something, that this is a preordained event, okay? This was planned before the foundations of the earth. This day I come into Jerusalem, and these messianic psalms will be sung to me one way or another, and if these people were quiet, the rocks would, climb, would, would proclaim them. Because when God wants something to happen, it happens, right? Right. And if that happened, you would have your first rock concert, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's a... I'm glad you guys like that. It's a very, it's a very intentional statement about himself. And I, you know, I really think it might have surprised a few people as we kind of talked about because, again, Jesus... Throughout his ministry, of course, there was attention on him for what he did, but he would frequently minimize that, that attention. He would do miracles for people. What would he tell them? Go and tell nobody, right? right? Or he would do a miracle and he would retreat and be alone. Or there would be a mass crowd and he directs all the glory to the Father, not himself. People would grab him and they would want to make him king and he would continually say, My day has not yet come. My day has not yet come. If you look at the the Gospel of Luke. Like this is this is a this event has been building for some time. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, if you go back to Luke chapter nine, okay, it's ten chapters before chapter nineteen. Luke chapter nine, verse one. It says this. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, 
So you have to understand, from Luke chapter 9, 10 chapters, he's, it, he begins his journey for this moment, for this march into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Again, this is an accumulation and a buildup of what we've seen. It's been said that there are two different types of courage in the world. Um, I've heard people talk about two different types. I don't know if they are or not. But they describe one as more instant, just like spontaneous, instant reaction courage where, I don't know, a grenade gets thrown and somebody decides to jump on it. Right? Just that instant courage. But then there's another type of courage that is from afar off. When you understand all of the implications, all of the consequences that you're about to go into. When you, when you know, like Jesus knew, that these people who were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now, in less than a week, these people will be shouting, crucify, crucify, because he failed to save them from the Roman Empire, which is, you know, in their mind is everything. And he saved them from something greater, and he knew everything that was about to take place. And yet, in his mind, knowing these events, he marches in on this colt into Jerusalem. Man, to me, it's one of the bravest scenes in all of history that Jesus willingly went to that cross. He willingly marches in knowing what he is about to face. And we see towards the end of that passage that the events turn a little bit, don't they? It says that in verse 41, as he drew near and saw the city, he began to weep over it. The Bible records two times in Scripture that Jesus weeps. The first one is in John chapter 11 at the funeral of his close friend Lazarus, right? It says there that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all of Scripture. It's always on Bible trivia. You take your notes, right? Jesus wept. The word wept there, the word used for weep here are two different words, and they have two different meanings. The word wept when Jesus was at his friend Lazarus' funeral was a, was a kind of a quiet weeping where a tear just rolls down your face, okay? And then really, Jesus wasn't crying over his friend Lazarus. He wasn't. He knew, Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was crying. He, you know, it saddened his heart to see the effects that death has on mankind, to see the, the mourning and the sorrow that was in the heart of his friend, the effects of death. But this weeping here is different. It, it, it means a very out, extroverted weeping, almost convulsing, like an unconsolable weeping, like to the point where your body is almost shaking, that type of weeping that is taking place. That's the word used for weeping in this scene. And we ask ourselves, you know, what is it that broke Jesus' heart so greatly in the midst of such joy, right? He's going through this joyous event, and then something happens that breaks his heart so greatly as he sees the city of Jerusalem. And we find out in that passage, it says, he says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when our enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and have you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, 
you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is lamenting over the nation of Israel as a whole because the self-proclaimed Bible experts, right, these religious leaders, they should have recognized the day of his coming. They should have recognized it. It was there, right? In the Old Testament, it was there to show them the day of his coming. But they failed to. And because they failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, he knows that destruction is coming upon them. And it takes place in 70 AD when the Romans come into Jerusalem and they completely destroy it. And one of the most brutal destructions you'd ever read about. In Jerusalem, and Jesus is weeping because that was so unnecessary that they would have only recognized the day of his coming. What is this all about? How could they know? How could they know the very day of his triumphal entry? How could he know? Remember again, as I've already said, the number of times Jesus said, "My time is not yet come. My time is not yet come." He wouldn't allow for it. But then this day comes, and this day is talked about in Daniel chapter 9 in the Old Testament. Okay? In verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, it describes the angel Gabriel coming to Daniel. And he's coming to Daniel to talk to Daniel about the future of the nation of Israel, the future of the Messiah even. And in verse 25, it says this in Daniel chapter 9, it says... Know, therefore, and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. So it gives a prophecy there that the anointed one will come in seven weeks and then in 62 weeks. Now, the, the English translators translated that as seven weeks and 62 weeks. But if you look at the original language, if you look at the Hebrew there, it doesn't say weeks. It simply says this. There shall be seven sevens and there shall be 62 sevens. It doesn't necessarily say weeks, years, whatever it might be. So if you look at that and you don't take weeks, because the word's not there, you say this is years from the, you know, this many years the Messiah will come. So seven sevens is 49 years, and 62 sevens is 434 years. So you have a total of 483 years from the going out of this decree, which is 1,000, or excuse me, 173,880 days from the going out of this decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of the anointed one. The question is then, when did this decree go out? Well, we have that answer in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, <coughs> the, a king by the name of Xerxes, Say that one? R6s. Help me out. R6s. Yeah, can you understand why I can't say that one? <laughs> <laughs> he started, we know that, you know, we know through history, he started his reign in, 
in 465 BC, and this decree that he go, he gives to rebuild this temple was in the 20th year of his reign, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Okay. <laughs> he, this, this decree goes out to rebuild the temple. All right? Now, some of you guys may know who Chuck Missler is. Some of you may not. You guys way smarter than me. Okay? And, and he kind of pinpoints this date to March 14, 445 BC. And then he, he goes through this exercise of doing all the math. Including leap years, like taking a big day, right? He goes, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. So, but right now, I'm trusting in what he says here, okay? Um, and you come to a date when you, when you when you look at that. You come to a date. You know, if you do one 173,880 days later, you come to a date of April 6, 32 A.D., which is the very day. Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You come to Palm Sunday. Sunday. Understand that prophecy again. No, no, even an atheist historian would not deny the fact that that was written 500 years before Jesus ever stepped foot on this earth. And I think it's quite a remarkable prophecy. And I think that prophecy is one of the reasons why Jesus says in verse 22, if you had known even you, especially in this, your day. Like, you should have known about this one. It's prophesied about in the Old Testament in multiple ways. And that's just one, that's just one prophecy I'm talking about. There was over 300 fulfilled by Jesus from the Old Testament, not just that one. It's, it's quite a prophecy. You know, the other thing about this one is that it's time-sensitive. I always think time-sensitive <coughs> prophecies are interesting. Because that means that means you know at the end of that of that time frame, if it doesn't happen, then it can't happen, right? But it does to the very day that it was prophesied about. Even if Chuck, even if Chuck's you know math was wrong, I don't know. If I, I, I didn't fact check it. Okay? <laughs> but even if it was wrong, even if it's you know if he missed a day, I mean, just when you think about that prophecy in terms of the years given, and for it to even be remotely close to this day. It's just God-ordained, right? right? It's just God-ordained. There's no way around that. And then when you look at the other 300 prophecies, there, there is a tremendous amount of, of evidence that recognizes that Jesus and Him alone is the Messiah. Amen. You know, the Old Testament, in a lot of ways, it's an address book, right? right. And it gives all these indicators, giving the address to the one person that can be the Messiah. And it always comes back to Jesus. And it's, it's quite remarkable. And I, when I sit down and I dwell on some of the things, it blows my mind every time. This morning, we're going to take a moment and we're going to remember what all of that, and you think about the Old Testament, all of those prophecies, everything I was given, it was all for an event, right? It was all for the event that saved humanity when he died for our sins. His grace, our sins, upon that cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, he died for us. And after he was resurrected, the night before he went to the cross, he commanded us. You know, why do we take communion? Because Jesus told us to. And he said, I, I want you to take some time and I want you to remember what I did for you on that cross. 
So I'm gonna have the music team come forward. You guys can start playing music. If you're helping give out community, you can come forward too. Um, here at Cornerstone, we have open communion, and what that means is that if you if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're more than welcome to take communion with us. You don't need to be a member of Cornerstone or anything like that. But as we as we take this together. I would really encourage you to do two things. Take some time and thank Jesus for dying for your sins. And if he's your, if he's your Lord and Savior. And also take some time and examine your heart. Examine your heart. Lord, do I truly honor you and bring you glory in my life by the things I do, the things I say, my purpose? Do I do that? And if not, then may we be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and take some time as these guys pass it out, and then we'll partake some, we'll partake together at the end.